0: The Will help us discover, embrace, and connect with the sacred core of childhood that resides within each of our hearts. I am your host, Marla Hughes. Today, I am so happy to welcome back to the show Dr. Tony Sicoria. Dr. Sicoria is a part time practicing board certified orthopedic surgeon. In Maine, former chief of orthopedics at Chenango Memorial Hospital in Norwich, New York, and clinical assistant professor at orthopedics at SUNY Upstate Medical School in Syracuse. Dr. Sicoria had the unfortunate or fortunate luck of being struck by lightning in 1994. As a result of the lightning, Dr. Sicoria had a near-death and out-of-body experience and became a sudden savant for classical piano music and composition. Today, we're going to talk about his music. Welcome back, Dr. Sicoria. Thank you.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So jumping right back in to where we left off last week, I know you said after your near-death experience that you didn't really talk to anyone about it.
1: Did anyone in your life notice a change in you? Um, well, they noticed a lot of changes. Um, and I think probably the, the biggest change that was noticed was the, the idea of the music. And so where did that come from? Um, a couple of weeks after the, after the lightning event, and I had seemingly gone back to my normal routine, um, there was one big thing that was different. I had this insatiable desire to hear classical piano music. And, and that was a big departure for me. I was a kid of the 60s, and there was rock and roll, and there wasn't much else. Um, my mother had insisted that I play piano when I was seven years old. So I had to take piano lessons for a year, which I promptly quit and wanted nothing further to do with. <laughs> um, and like many kids. Um, oh, absolutely. So, th- so there was some ex- early exposure, um, but nothing that I wanted. And so that had completely died out. And it, and never really came to anything else. But then I had this insatiable desire. And so I was driven so much that I drove to Albany about an hour away to a a music store that had classical CDs. There was nothing in my small community that would support that. And so I, when I went to the music store, this, CD of Vladimir Ashkenazi playing his favorite Chopin just jumped off the shelf into my hands and and I didn't think anything about it but from that moment on I I listened to the CD all day long. I made everybody else listen to it and I'm sure they were sick of it (laughs) Um, but it was there was something that drove me to listen to it and within a, a short period of weeks, I realized that it's not going to be enough for me to listen to this music. I have to learn how to play it. But that was a big problem since I didn't have a piano and I didn't know how to play. So as I realization I want to learn how to play, the next day our babysitter calls and says, I, I'm moving and I, I've got this old upright piano I need to store for a year would you guys let me store it at your house? And I thought, okay, that's fortuitous. I want to learn how to play piano. And suddenly a piano appeared. Yes. And so the piano gets there and I decide to go to the music store and try to get some beginning books on how to play piano. But at the same time I ordered all of the music on that CD, um, which I didn't have the faintest idea how to play, but something magical was going to happen and I would get this music. Um, and then I get that the piano gets to the house and a couple of weeks later, I have a dream. And in this dream, I, it was like an out of body experience. I, I'm walking out onto the stage and I see myself sitting at a concert hall piano and I'm playing. And I remember looking around at the concert hall and, and I even drew a picture of it afterwards. It was so vivid, but I walked up behind myself and I'm listening to this music that I was playing. And I came to the realization, this is not somebody else's music. This is mine. And so I paid attention to what I was playing and the ending of the music had kind of a loud crashing ending and it woke me up and I looked at the clock and it's about 3 15 in the morning and I go out to the piano and I tried to plunk out some of the things that I'd heard but I had no idea how to write or or how to play so I said the hell with this I'm going back to bed and and normally I would get up at six o'clock And so I I got up and and went about my my day as as usual. Uh, But the one thing that had suddenly changed was that the music from the dream just kept playing in my head. And whenever I would stand still, it would start to play. Whenever I sat down at the piano to try to teach myself, it would start playing. And it did it day in, day out, every day. And there were, you know, as I was going along, I was trying to teach myself and the music would start playing in my head and I would, I would try to write down a few notes of the melody, but I didn't have any idea how music was written. So I would just, I would write down whatever I could manage and I would put it on a piece of paper and throw it in a drawer uh, thinking that at some point in my life, I'll do something with this. And so I went along this pathway of trying to teach myself until I realized that this was a futile attempt and I needed to get a teacher. And and that came, um, it was a couple of years after that, um, that I actually started taking lessons. And, and at that point, I started, you know, she... I had, I auditioned, her name was Sandy Campbell McCain and Sandy was trained at Juilliard mm. and she was the chairman of the um, music program at Harvard College. And so I auditioned and she said, you know, bring me some things that you're trying to play. And so I can see where you are in this process. And, and I took some pieces of music that I was tr- struggling to learn. And she said, okay, um, I don't want to hear you play them again until I say it's okay. Um, and she said, you don't have any basics to play these things with. And that's where we're going to start. So we started at the very bottom. Fingering, scales, you you name it, that's where we started. Right. And we started progressing. But one of the things that she was very helpful with was I had told her the story about the dream and, and the music. And by that time I was able to at least, um, start to repeat some of the things that I had heard. And I would say, how do I write something like this? And, you know, I would play it and, and, you know, she said, well, it, it's, Four over five this, and against three on that, and I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> you know this is way over my head and and so i but I just kept you know going along the pathway that um, that I was on, and you know she gave me two hours a week where I would have lesson, and I just kept doing that for quite a period of time and and it wasn't until. 2006, when things really started to change, I had in 2002 I, I started going to a piano music camp for adults called the Sonata in Bennington, Vermont, and and this was just a, a group of adults um, that were at piano camp, so to speak. Yes. And and this was a great experience because I was at uh, a group with People, uh, everyone loved the same thing, play, playing a piano. And when I went in 2006, um, the owner, uh, the owner's sister, the owner was Polly VanderLind. And Polly's sister, Erica, was a concert pianist. And she was also um, the number one Steinway a uh, salesperson in New York city Perfect. and she had just left Steinway and went to Bosendorfer um, another competing piano company. And she had a bunch of pianos it brought in for people to play on. This is an advertising gimmick, I'm sure. But on, on that particular week in, in May of 2006, We got talking and, you know, she was interested in how I had gotten to where I was. And I told her the whole story and she looked at me and she said, there's only one person that can tell this story and that's Oliver Sacks. And I'm like, okay. At the time, I didn't know who Oliver Sacks was other than he wrote the book Awakenings. I actually had to Google uh, Oliver Sacks after I read,
0: you know, that that you had so many wonderful experiences with him
1: so you know at that point i thought okay well that was interesting and so i went about my business but then in i think it was august of 2006 i get a call from oliver sacks and i'm like <laughs> holy crap and oliver says look and he said you know, I've heard about this story and I'd like you to come down to New York. I've got a collection of patients um, who've got, had unusual experiences like yours. And I want to in- involve you in this process uh, of these patients. And I thought, well, it's got to be pretty interesting. So I made plans to go down and I spent the day with Oliver, which was an incredible experience in and of mm-hmm. itself. and. I told him this whole story and at the, at the end of the day, and literally I, we spent the entire day talking and I was saying goodnight to him at the doorway and he looked at me and and it was like, he looked right through me and he said to me, the music from the dream went through an awful lot of trouble to get here. The least you can do is write it. And I was so struck by that yeah. and so taken by it. I I went home and I was absolutely possessed um to, to write the music. And so but I had no idea how to write. So I I got a, a music writing program for dummies called <laughs> Sibelius. And and which was a great tool for me because the music was always exactly the same as it played in my head. And all I had to learn how to do was to match um, what I wrote on the paper with what I heard in my head. And so I started that process and would continue literally every day. And I spent the next seven months, every spare minute, um, doing that. And it, at the end of that period of time, I finished. Um, what I affectionately called the Lightning Sonata. Um, And my object was to um, play it for my piano group in May of 2007. And because I went every year at the same time. And then, so I finished the music and I, I took it up to my piano camp and I played it for my group. And... And I was pretty pleased with the way it came out and felt like it was a very clear duplication of the music I had been given uh, in the dream. And at that point, uh, while I was at music camp, um, Oliver called and said, hey, I wanna use your story in my book. And I thought, okay, why not? You know, it's not gonna hurt anybody. Right and at that point he said good because it's coming out june 23rd in the new yorker (laughs) and i thought whoa wait a minute um i didn't know if i was ready for that." right and so i thought well you know it is what it is and and so i went along with it and so the the article came out in the new yorker and and suddenly there was a a huge interest in in the music and the story and um a friend of mine Carlton Clay who was at one of the the head head uh, guys at the music department at State University in New York in Oneonta where I lived and Carlton called me and said I'd like you to teach a class about all of this stuff that's happened. And I thought, okay, that would be interesting. And the week later he calls and he says, you know, could you consider playing the music in the class for us? Sure. And about a month later he calls and says, you know, this has really taken on a whole different life of its own. Uh, Would you consider doing a concert at the Performing Arts Center here at the State of New York in Oneonta. and I thought, mm, I'm not ready for that. I, I did. I, I have the faintest idea how to do something like that. And he said, oh, "It'll be fine." <laughs> yeah, easy for you to say. Yes, yes. Um, so you know, I, I agreed to do it, and at that point, my, I called my teacher Sandy, and I said. Sandy, I've agreed to do this, but I haven't the faintest idea how to do it. And so she started working with me four hours a day from, I think it must've been November sometime of that year, um, because I had agreed to do this concert um, on my birthday, uh, January 29th of of 2008. And so... uh, you know she started right at the very beginning how to walk on the stage how to how to do everything and it was a huge undertaking you know for her for me for um for everything and and at that point um i went through this this whole process and by the time the, the concert date came along, it had changed again. And now it was, this is not gonna be just a a simple concert um, because now the BBC one was (sighs) coming and Granada media was coming and German television was coming. And there were three television crews. Wow. And you know, our. You know, my life was completely upside down, um, but somehow got through it all. I managed to to do the concert without falling apart, um, which I was pretty amazed at. Beautiful. And I'm sure that, you know, in, in the back of my mind, I thought, you know what? If they sent me this music from the other side, the they're not gonna let me fall on my face and screw it up.
0: Right, right. You know, I, know. I, I actually listened to that concert um, yesterday when I was hiking, and I've got to be honest. I sat down and I just, I just started crying. You know, it's so. I don't know. It, it brings up, it brings up a lot of, a lot of feelings. And I, I read that Mozart. And other famous composers have said that the, their music comes from heaven. So, can you tell us, like, how does this how does this music come to you?
1: You know, it's it's interesting, and and I I have read you know gobs of of things about the great composers, and mm-hmm. and Mozart was famous for saying that it comes from heaven, and and he would be given literally entire pieces of music at one time and all he had to do was write it down. Yeah, um, But it wasn't just Mozart Beethoven said the same thing and so did Brahms um, and so have many others um, that you know they they usually will say it came you know, from heaven but they didn't understand where or it came from a muse associated with the other side um, but you know in 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 my situation, um, the first was clearly a gift in a dream. and and it came in one big package, and it was downloaded into my head, and that was it. Um, but then it has never stopped coming. And I get. You know, whenever there's um, an emotional trigger uh, of of some type, um, I had a very dear friend that that died um, that died young and I think he was sixty two. and he was a he was actually my neurologist, John Wilson. and I had um, i was I was home, actually with pneumonia, so I wasn't working. And all of a sudden, and I was sitting at the piano, and all of a sudden I started um, hearing this music. and this was was a music that was inspired by his passing. And it just came in absolute torrents. Um, and I just started writing it down as quickly as I could. And, and so the, the, the whole piece of music, which I called a Rhapsody in D minor, um, was based on the, the emotional, um, feelings that I, that I had as a result of his passing and that piece of music literally. Downloaded into my head, you know and and I always struggled with, okay, where is it downloading from? and And where does this music come from? And I have had numerous episodes where music has done that for me. Um, I was one day I was sitting uh, I was learning uh, a series of Brahms variations based on a Schumann theme. And I was playing one of them and all of a sudden I started to hear it in a symphony. And, and I thought, okay, this is pretty strange. And I stopped playing, but the symphony kept going. And, and so it felt, it truly felt like I had tuned into a frequency and the music was downloaded into my head. And so, you know that's some one of the pieces of of music that i that I'm working on to to give birth to. Um, but then there have been lots of other uh, pieces of music where I, I'll sit down and and doodle. is the only word I can come up with uh-huh. um, at the piano, and all of a sudden, that ties into a source. And, and I, I can only say that it feels like that there is a frequency where the music exists or there's a place where the music exists. And I go th- can go through some um, introduction um, that gets me to it. And then the music starts to come and And then, I you know, at least now I can start to write it down. and I may I've got a book of of one page of many different pieces that, if I start to play the music, it takes me right back to where it came from. Right. And so I you know and and that's kind of the way I work on things. I'll, when I finish one thing, then, I'll go to I'll turn to a page um, that I haven't finished and I'll play the the first page of it and and I'm transported to where the music came from.
0: Wow so and do you it, feel that you that's why you were you were brought back do you feel that it
1: and it's very clear to me that you know I I really felt that the only reason I had been Brought back here was because of the music, but I've also quite clearly realized that I don't fully understand what the music represents. Yes. And I have often thought that there are healing frequencies in the music, that the music does something to people. Um, and I've seen it over and over again. Every time I've played in a concert, people come up to me afterwards and say, I I saw visions, or I saw this, or I felt this, or I felt that. Mm -hmm. I've even had people come and ask to lie on the floor underneath the piano. Oh my God. So that they can feel the vibration of it. Um, Because it it took them someplace else. Right.
0: Tony, is it... Two questions. I mean, I know we, we are humans and when someone passes like your good friend, um, you know, we do grieve, but is it, is it any easier for you now that, that you've had this experience? And then along with that, do you kind of look forward when it's time for you to, to return?
1: You know, I, I have absolutely no fear of crossing over. And you know, in my work, um, in the hospital, and you know, a lot of people have known about what what's happened to me o- over the years. And you know, if somebody is struggling with um, an impending death, um, they've asked me to go talk to them, and which I gladly do. And so I have no fear uh, of what's on the other side. In fact, I am absolutely convinced. That it's just part of the normal um, life cycle, yes. if you will, and it's nothing to be feared, and 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 everything to be revered. And okay. so, you know, I I know that when it's time, you know, I'll I'll be ready to go, and and I know that I don't get to go until then.
0: Right, exactly. I remember Dr. Jeff Woodriscoll saying that, talking about the cycle of birth and um, death and rebirth, that it's really on a human level, of course, we're sad when people pass. um, Very sad. However, on the other side, it's a new, a rebirth for going home. And there's a big celebration there. You know, that's how, just like how we celebrate birth here. And it's just like this beautiful, you know, beautiful cycle. I know, I know you also say that, that you've become much more just a different person in terms of
1: empathy. And can you just speak on that? Sure. You know, one of the things that I have, have asked, You know, people in my family and and relatives, you know, what do you see that's different? Um, And I remember my sister um, saying very, very clearly, she said, you're not the same person. She Mm -hmm. said, you're much more uh, empathetic. You're much more aware of other people's feelings and you have a whole different approach to life. Um, that I don't recognize as having been the way you were before. Right, right. And I think that that's, that's true. I yeah. mean, I don't think you can go through an experience like this and, and still espouse the, the values that, that you had before, especially if they weren't in tune with um, what you consider to be reality now.
0: Right. Right. Do you feel that, this is something I'm passionate about, about how we could possibly open up the conversation with young children about eternal life and about the sorts of things that we're, you know, what we're talking about so that throughout, I mean, how beautiful it would be if you had been told not only stories, but this had been sort of your religion, if you will, if you would have been raised with spirituality, living in more of love than in fear of what happens, even though knowing that you would be really sad, do you think it it would make a difference for, for our young children?
1: Well, you know, it's an interesting point because one of the things that has become clear is that small children, still can see the other side yes um especially under three years old Mm -hmm. um they're they're very innocent and they they may say you know they're doing something in a room and and the parent walks in and says what are you doing and they and they say well i'm talking to grandma and you know the parent says grandma's not there and they say yes they are they're right over there and You think, okay, what happens to us that we lose that connection? And I think one of the things that happens is that it's not acceptable um, by our convention. And so children are told that's not real. Right. Don't say that again. Don't tell anybody because they're going to think you're crazy. Um, and so, you know, there has to be a re-education of of the parents, um, and and it will take generations to extinguish a lot of the bad stuff mm-hmm. um, that goes along with it. Right. And you know, if we could, if we could say it's okay to our children, our very young children, it, say it's okay to to experience those things and and to recognize the validity of what it is they're saying right. um, and experience the love that they're carrying with them. Um, I think that you would see a, a huge change in in the population in, in general. Right. Um, but that's gonna take an undertaking.
0: Take, yes, yes. Well, that's the seed I want to plant in my lifetime, <laughs> for sure well tony thank you so much for for coming on to the show i know that um a couple of other things i wanted to just i know you've been asked before about if you feel like this music has just kind of not just kind of but has come to you from your experience or from a past life and Oliver Sacks weighed in on that. <laughs> and can you, can you just tell us about that?
1: Sure. Um, you know, one of the things that I, that I have struggled with is, you know, what does it all mean? Where did it come from? Mm-hmm. How is it all related? And, you know, in my discussions with Oliver, uh, which went on for years, um, you know, we would write back and forth and, you know, I would tell him about how I, what I thought, and he would tell me about what he thought. (laughs) Um, and you know, his, his take on it was somehow the lightning had rewired some circuits, um, in my brain and that it had given me access to parts of my brain that I didn't know existed or that, I had some genetic memory of um, that I wasn't supposed to have in in this particular lifetime and and certainly some of the things that he said along that along that vein made you think, okay, maybe he has some inkling that there is the possibility of re- reincarnation mm-hmm. or or genetic memory of of some sort um, but he would never openly admit that right in in any way shape or form and i find it fascinating
0: that your son um is a or uh, he may have graduated by now but he's a music major at the school of at berkeley in boston
1: school he, of music he graduated a, a few years ago yeah yeah um, and you know and and my son chris um Came up out of the basement one day and he handed me a CD. I think he was probably 13 and I said, what's this and he said it's It's a CD of music I wrote. I'm like what? I hadn't, we had no idea. And he'd never said anything and and I don't even know how he figured out how to record the stuff but he had recorded all of the different instruments. He played all the different instruments on it and had recorded it. And and we were like, wow, oh where did God. this come from? And so you know in in thinking about all of that, you know, it it makes me think that okay, there's gotta be some some genes that, that I've passed along. Right. Um, that I had um, no knowledge that I had. Um, there was no family history of musicianship um, that I knew of. So, you know, it's like, who knows, who knows how old those music genes are. Right. Um, but they certainly presented both in me in one way and him in another. Right, right. And the and part of it being downloaded from from the yeah.
0: divine. That's what I'm going to call it.
1: <laughs> and one of the interesting things about it was, um, I had been contacted, um, by, um, Dr. Daryl Treeford and, and Dr. Treeford was an expert in savants and he had wanted to include me in a, in a category of what's called sudden savants, people who, suddenly develop an ability that they didn't have before mm. as a result of trauma or illness one thing or another and what was interesting to me about it is that i got to meet a lot of people through him that were like me that you know somebody got hit with a uh, a ball in the head and suddenly could could calculate dates out to incredible distances right. or, or somebody else could, could memorize huge amounts of information. And, and it's, it's so all of these people had suddenly an ability that they didn't know they did have. And so that makes you realize that if, if we're only using a very small percentage of our brains, what's the rest of it doing? Mm-hmm. And it's, the fact that this happens to other people makes you realize that there are parts of our brains that have huge amounts of information that we just don't know how to access. Right. And, and that's what it really comes down to. It it's knowing how to get these areas. Um, In my case, it took us a bolt of lightning across the head to, to, to find access to it. And I'd hate like hell for people to have to go through that to get access to different parts of their brain. But uh, as it turns out right now, the only technology we have of being able to duplicate that is having some sporadic infection or trauma or surgery or tumors, one thing or another, uh, that somehow allows us access. And the day that we learn how to do it without all of those other things will be a great day, a great day indeed.
0: And that's um, where I'm doing a series on plant medicine. You know, that research is just fascinating with um, psilocybin and back to LSD and ayahuasca and, you know, those sorts of things to help, to really help an up open up those pathways so that's that's going to be very interesting to see where see where that goes in the future. So Tony, what um what back to the reincarnation when you were on your journey on the other side what happened for you to come back with such a strong belief in reincarnation? Was it because you came back with the music the the music talent or
1: um, the, I think the 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 biggest thing that that I came back with um, was was when I was standing there looking at my body, and I was thinking, you know, my mind was racing, and it never missed a step from the moment the lightning hit until now. It was always, you know, my my brain was just racing. And I say brain, it it's. I'm not including my brain. I'm saying right. my mind. Right. Because I think your consciousness, difference. yes. Yeah. And my consciousness was with me, whoever I was, when I was standing there looking at, at my body and realizing that I'm dead, number one, and number two, I'm still conscious. I'm still thinking exactly the way I normally would. And so that realization that... I was who I always was was tremendous because that meant that my spirit lived on forever, right. And that I, whether I come back here again in a different form with different memories, um, is ir- irregardless, but and that's the way I think it happens. But mm-hmm. that's what gave me that realization. Um, was that i saw it i experienced it did you
0: feel i've heard people say they they're more alive than they are even here did you feel that way
1: you know i i felt so much more aware of everything yes and so much um uh, perceptive of of what this energy was that i was feeling and it would just a whole order of magnitude different yeah. um, than what I would normally experience. But still
0: 100% still you.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that's comes one way.
0: So beautiful. Well, thank you so much. It's just been, been an honor to talk with you. Is there anything that I didn't ask that you'd like to like to share with our listeners?
1: No, I think you've covered most of it. Okay, great.
0: And if people want to find you, how do they? How would they do that?
1: Um, my email uh, is probably the easiest way: t.sacoria at yahoo.com.
0: Great, and I'll be in the show notes too. Are you still practicing medicine? Yes. Yes.
1: I, I work part time.
0: Yeah. And you're in Maine now. Yep. Yeah.
1: And, uh, so that that just, I can't imagine just stopping.
0: Right, right, yeah. Well, thank you, thank you once again. And you have a wonderful evening, I guess it is there, getting close to evening. Yeah. And hopefully we'll talk again soon. Great. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening in today.